All right. Well, how many of you have been enjoying this series, The Fight? I've been really enjoying it, and um, I believe we are all called to fight, and we're called to fight for what's, what matters most, and that's been the theme of just contesting what matters most. And um, today we are focused on the next generation, and we've been talking about hey, fighting for our marriages. That was last week. Fighting for, our, for unity, fighting for the lost. It's been a powerful time, and I believe God's been, been helping us understand that it's a spiritual battle that we often think is a physical battle. We often think, hey, I'm just trying to figure this out, if I can just, if I can just press through and find this. But no, actually, God's saying, I want to fight for you. I want to come along behind you and fight the battles for you. And so I, I want to read this passage um, and, talking about, and, and just show the need. I want to show the need and give you a picture of why fighting for the next generation is so important. In Judges chapter 2, it describes what happened after a great leader named Joshua. Joshua was the one who believed God when there was this, um, this huge wall in front of him. He believed God when he saw the giants in the promised land. He said, no, God promised this. He's going to make it true. And, and he was the one that led the people of Israel after four years of wandering around in the desert. He was the one that led the people into the promised land. It was a big deal. But we look back and we celebrate the great man of faith, but, but we read this, and, I, and I'm just going to read it and let that speak to you. It says in verse 7 of Judges chapter 2, it says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in the timnath Heres, in the country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. You know, someone told me, is like, if you want to know how to pronounce Bible, biblical names, you look in there, this, the key is, you just confidence. It's like, that, that's all you got to do. You don't, you never, just a tip, all right? And there arose, oh, sorry, in verse 10, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And here's what I want, want you to see, the second part of verse 10. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Man, I read that, and I'm saddened. I'm burdened. I, I read that, and I say, look what God did, and then after that happened, after they died out, there was a generation that experienced God. They experienced His promise. They experienced Him moving in His life. And what happened afterwards was this next generation rose up. They didn't know what God did, and they didn't even know God. I read that, and it makes me look at inward, and, and it makes me see the big picture of the past my lifetime. And I ask, am I doing all that I can? Am I asking, am I really going to, living my life in a way that's going to set up the next generation? Am I living my life in a way that, that my faith is going to outlast me? Am I living my life in a way that the legacy is not going to die with me? Because I believe this, that, that your legacy, your faith is not supposed to die with you. God's called us to have a responsibility to pass that on. And I, I wanted to emphasize that, but I look at that passage, Judges chapter 2. God did amazing things. And so what happened? And we can't really tell. We can, we can just only speculate. Like, they didn't, they didn't talk about God to, to their kids. But here's, here's the biggest thing. I, I want to speculate. I feel like one of the reasons this happened, one of the big reasons this happened, is that everyone was saying 
oh, that's someone else's job. Everybody was saying that. They were all saying like, oh, someone else will take care of that. And they didn't recognize it as their own responsibility. Do you ever do that? So in our first uh, year of marriage, probably, maybe two years, I don't know how, how long it took, but um, my wife and I uh, didn't set clear responsibilities on everything. And one of them was the dishes. And so I, pl- I felt like we did this for the long time. We'd see the pile of dishes there and be like, oh, my, my wife will take care of that. And then she looked at us, oh, Lauren will take care of that. He's got it. And then they would just stack up. And then we would just finally, one of us would do it that we were so frustrated that the other person wasn't doing it. And finally we sat down and we realized, we're like, okay, we need to make some clear responsibilities, right? Like this, isn't, this is becoming an issue because they're like stacked up. And, and it's bad, right? And so, um, so what we did was like, okay. And, I, and we said, okay, we gotta, who's going to do this? Who's going to do this? And the dishes came up and said, you know what? I got this. I'm doing the dishes. The dishes are my responsibility. So I, I come home, I see the dishes. I just visualize and attack. I just go after those dishes. They don't stand a chance. And I realize it's my responsibility. And you know what I say every time I come home, I see the dishes? Dish is my responsibility. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. Did you know, I couldn't help it. I believe God wants us to recognize our responsibility in this. I believe just like, like, like the, the kingdom of God at the time, the, the, the nation of Israel, were looking around saying someone else will do that. They were looking around saying someone else is going to handle that. Someone else We'll do that. I believe we are all called. We all have a God-ordained responsibility to pass our faith over. We all have a God-ordained responsibility to fight for the next generation. So that's the main thing I want to communicate today is that we all have a God-ordained responsibility to fight for the next generation, to believe in the next generation, to, to say, hey, I'm going to empower the next generation. I'm not going to let my faith, I'm not going to let my die off from you from this. And my wife communicated a second ago is that the generations, in a biblical sense, was defined like, okay, this generation was everybody that was alive at the time. doesn't matter if you were a few days old or over 100 years old. That was the generation. You were all part of that generation. And my wife kind of like stole some of my sermon I was about to preach. I'm not mad about it, but <laughs> she did. And uh, she was saying that we all have a, see, some people say like, okay, Project Church, that's that young church, but I want to let you know, we, we do have a lot of young people, but I'll, I believe we need spiritual mothers and fathers. I believe I need spiritual mothers and fathers, people my age, people older than me, people younger than me. We need, everybody here has a place in Project Church, and we value every generation. That's not just talking about the next generation, our goal, but we believe that everybody has a place here and everyone is needed here. We need spiritual mothers and fathers because we all have this calling. The church is a place for every generation and every age is a vital part of the kingdom of God. Generations is our goal. That's what we say. It's one of our, our core values. We call them blueprints. Generations is our goal. And that means we will celebrate, value, and empower the next generation to impact our world. So I... I want to share this passage. So I I shared with you the problem that we see in Judges chapter 2, and I want to jump to the New Testament where Paul is encouraging Titus in this small church in this place called Crete 
that he's instructing them to fight for the next generation. And I see it, I see he describes the church as being a lot of disorder. And a lot of the disorder, right now, he's focusing on on this problem where we're not passing what we have off to the next generation. And so I want to look at that and see, see what Scripture says about being having this mandate to disciple the next generation, this, this system and responsibility that we wouldn't simply keep what God has done with us. We wouldn't simply say, okay, this happened to us and we're going to be okay with it, but not pass it off to the next generation. That we, that we would let what God's done in our lives even be accelerated and pass the baton off and saying, you're not starting over. You're not starting from scratch this next generation, but you're passing it off and you're telling them, the next generation, you're starting where I left off. You're starting where I left off. You're, not, you're going off of the momentum of what God's already done in my life. So here's Titus chapter 2, and I believe God's going to speak to us through this passage. And a lot of us, that I feel a lot of us are discounting ourselves and saying, hey, that's not my, maybe you're telling me it's my responsibility, but I'm not equipped to do that. I believe God's given you everything you need to, to fulfill this responsibility. He wouldn't call you to something unless he's capable of, of bringing it to fruition. And so some of us have discounted ourselves in this, but I want you to, to see how it, how it says it doesn't, it doesn't limit it to parents. Because some of us are thinking right now, well, I'm not a parent, or maybe I'm, I'm not planning on having kids, and so this doesn't really make sense to me. I want to encourage you that we are all called, whether it's our own kids or whether it's just someone even a few years younger than us. We are called to pass off and mentor and disciple and pass off what God has done in our lives. So this is what it says in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. It says this, But as for you, teach what, what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Would you pray with me today? Calling out to the Lord right there. I like it. Every generation. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. God, I pray that you would help us to see that what our responsibility is. God, you'd help us to see that we have, we're equipped to pass this off. We're equipped just to, to love someone younger than us, to show the faith that we have to someone else younger than us. I pray, God, that you would uh, align our hearts to what you have to say, God. Even speak through me. Let it not be my words, but let it just be your words, and, and that we would leave here changed that we would leave here with a new mindset and a, and a heart for the next generation and a heart just to seek after you more with everything we have in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. I'm excited to, just to look at this passage. Some people ask me, like, hey, how do you find what you're going to talk about? How do you, you know, find the inspiration or how do you uh, figure out, like, the points of your message? You know what I do is I look at the Bible 
Pretty, pretty, good, pretty good choice, right? And I really don't, don't do a lot of crazy things, but I pray and I open up God's word. And, and as we will map out our sermon, say, hey, we want to talk about this then. And we'll see a passage that says, this is covering the subject of fighting for the next generation. And we look at the passage and we say, this is what we feel God's saying. We study deeper, we take commentaries, and we look deeper into the passage as to what it's saying. So if you ever wonder that, that's simply what we do is we look at God's word and we take it deeper. And so I want to look at that passage in, in uh, Titus chapter 2. And the first thing I see, as I, actually as I look at all these, I see three main verbs in here. And it puts the responsibility on men and women. You, you notice a few times in that passage, it is your responsibility to fight for, invest in, and believe in the next generation. And I want to look at this passage and see those three main verbs that we have a God-ordained responsibility to live out to the next generation. But with all three of these verbs, all are helping, they're all, put, I noticed the theme in it, and it's all about character. It's all about saying, hey, you need to pass off this character. You need to teach your kid to be dignity. You need self-controlled, sober-minded. You see these words repeated a few times in there, and it's all talking about character. And so we have the responsibility to teach, to train, and to model what it looks like to have character what it looks like to follow Jesus, because they need to see an example of that. So those three verbs, to teach, to train, and to model. You have that responsibility to, to pass that off to someone else. You have that responsibility to model that, to teach that, and to train others. So this passage starts off with, with I believe, focusing more on teaching. It even used that word. It says uh, to teach sound doctrine. And so some of you are like, I don't know sound doctrine. I don't know. I believe some of us, we just need to start with what we do know is the truth, that Jesus loves you. Are you telling other people that Jesus loves them? Are you instilling in your children the fact that Jesus loves them? The other thing I want to encourage you is like, what, what stories are you telling? See, a lot of times we think about teaching and we're thinking like, okay, getting up in front of them and preparing a little devotional or preparing a outline with fill in the blanks. Like do that. That's cool. But it doesn't necessarily have to look like that. I believe what, what a huge way, you, a way of teaching is sharing stories. Stories are so powerful. And, and what just you have experienced God. You have something to pass off. You have a story to share. You have something that you can pass off to the next generation. My grandma-in-law, I don't know if that's the official word, but it's my wife's grandma. Grandma-in-law, I think I'll go with it. I've never heard it before. But she is, um, she is an amazing woman. Her and her husband, when they were my age and even younger, they planted churches all over Washington State uh, multiple times. And sometimes I just sit down and I, and I listen to her tell these stories of God's faithfulness. And it was awesome this last year at her birthday. Um, she, and so her husband's passed away. But she's still there and she always says, the only reason I'm, allowed, I'm here, I can't figure out any other reason, but I'm here to, to, to pray. And she, she says that, encourages me all the time, saying she's praying for me. And I feel that so much. But one thing that's so cool is last year at her birthday, they were all singing happy birthday to her. And oh, there's a bunch of grandkids and great-grandkids running around. And after they, she blew out the candle, she said, listen up. I want to tell you about how good God has been to me. And she started listing how God has been so faithful to her. How about the miracles that has happened to her? And I was just sitting around thinking like, okay, Grandma, it's not... It's not really, the, it's your birthday, it's like chill out, like we're trying to eat some cake here. But she, I, and then I sat back and I said, wait a second, this is so awesome, and it's so biblical. 
Because did you notice in that scripture in, in Judges, it said, man, this is what, they, they didn't know God, but they also didn't know what God had done. See, we need to tell people what God has done in our life. We need to tell others, man, just the simple things. Tell your kids, tell those younger than you, man, what encounters have you had from God? What, what has God done for your life? And maybe you're sitting here now and you're thinking, I don't really know what God's done for my life. I kind of show up to church and check my box. I believe some of us have the wrong mindset. We don't recognize the small things God has done for us and how encouraging that will be to, you, to someone younger than you, to someone, to your kids, or just someone that's, that's earlier on in their faith. So last night I sat down with Charlotte and I was like, okay, I'm preaching this. And I was thinking, when was the last time I told a star story to Charlotte about God's faithfulness? And so I sat down and I told her, about two and a half years ago, how we literally had no idea how we were going to pay for our bills, how to pay rent, and uh, we were looking at our finances and just trimming every little area we can, and we came to, to our tithes, to our offering, what we give to missions, and Veronica and I looked at each other, it was like, no, we're not, we're not going to trim this, and we're just going to be faithful, and, and it was, I remember, remember feeling this such a hard pressure on me, but then I said, I, I know my God keeps his promises. Philippians 4 says, I will provide, I will supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory. And I said, man, I'm going to, this is where the rubber meets the road. It's easy to get up and say, man, God will provide for you. But then when it really comes down to, it's like, I don't know how to, I'm going to pay for rent. It's like, that's, that's really comes down to your faith. What do you really believe? It kind of draws out what you really believe in tough circumstances, and, and what we did was we prayed and said, God, I guess you're going to have to come through because this is what we're going to do. And the next day, I got a phone call allowing us to, to have an extra, set, an extra line of income into our lives, and it was the most crazy thing, did not make any sense, and God just provided and opened the doors because we were faithful to him. And I shared that story with my daughter, and she had her toys, and she I wasn't sure if she was paying attention. I was like, okay, what's going on? She was She's five years old. But then afterwards, I asked her, okay, what, what happened? What did I just tell you? I kind of quizzed her because I'm like, were you really paying attention? And she repeated back what had happened. And I want to let you know, sometimes we think our kids don't pick up what we're telling them. But, but you will be so surprised on the little things. They are sponges, we often say. And when you share stories about what God has done in your life, that could be the most powerful thing that you do. Because that next generation, even... Uh, the root of that was they didn't know the Lord, I believe, partially because they didn't know what God had done. Man, God parted the Red Sea. God led them into the promised land. God, God was behind them. They were defeating armies that were twice as big as them because God was on their side. Miracle after miracle, and the children of Israel didn't even know. Man, we're called to tell stories in, in that way of teaching. We're called to teach, and we're also called to train. We're called to train this because that, that verb is described there too. And uh, this is actually what that, that word train, sometimes it's described as uh, instruct or uh, correct. But I like the word train, and, and there's a few definitions. To restore to his senses, to restore to one his senses, to moderate, control, curb, or di disciple. So I believe one of our callings as parents is to let our children go and not be control. I know that word says control, but to not be controlling and try to not let them get hurt or not let them fail. I believe as parents, we're called to let our kids fail. Somebody needs to know that today is that we're, we're so worried about our kids failing, but they need to know what it's like to fail. And in the, I believe in this idea of training, 
That's when in the moment of failure is the greatest opportunity to provide instruction and to, to show them what God's doing in that situation. So what, what is training? It's, it's encouraging them to stay on track. So they, they, they take a step forward and they fail. But then that, that's where you're able to come in and say you're, it's more of a coaching role. So sometimes we're at different stages of, our, of kids' life. They may be where you're really disciplining them. But then they'll go into an age where, where you're more coaching them. You're allowing them to have more room. You're allowing them to have more room. And then when they come up, when they fail, they may even come back to you for advice. And you're coaching them. You're instructing them. We're supposed to give our rooms for kids or give room to our kids for failure. They need to experience that. Um, but they also need to experience God in a powerful way. This is a quote from a theologian. It says, people cannot thrive on the spiritual power of their parents. They, each generation must personally experience the reality of God. And I believe we're looking at that is that next generation did not experience the reality of God. They didn't experience and have an encounter with who God really is. They were saying like, okay, yeah, that was my parents' faith. That was something my parents did, but I don't have that for myself. And so we need to realize, we need to allow them to have a personal relationship with Christ. We need to allow them to do that. And I believe a lot of what training is, is helping them come to their senses. Because that was the word, it's just helping them come to their senses. And sometimes they'll get these grandiose thoughts. So the other day, Charlotte told me, because, um, hey, if you just kind of tell someone about God, and they'll, they may go really far in left field. And so the other day, Char- I was asking, we were praying before we went to bed, and Charlotte said, hey, Daddy, what if, and then I was, I was kind of nervous when she says, what if, but she said, what if a, a, a shark, and I have no idea how this came into her mind, what if a shark died on the cross? Okay. And then went to heaven. Okay. And then ate Jesus. I was like, okay, what are they teaching you over there at Project Kids, man? Like, what is going on? And so uh, that was an opportunity to, to train. You see what I'm saying here? That's an opportunity to train. But okay, so um, first of all, why would the shark be dying on the cross? But, but then also, so Jesus is God. doesn't matter. The shark's not going to kill him. shark's not going to eat Jesus, all right? So we're good there. Don't, don't worry about a shark eating Jesus, okay? And she's like, all right. And so as silly as that is, there will be times where our kids' line of thinking will go left or the right. But it says to be sober-minded, to be grounded in the truth. We're often called just to come alongside and instruct, to come alongside and correct, to say, hey, no, let me give you a little nudge this way. And the last thing we're called to is to model. You have a responsibility to model. I don't know if you knew this, but you're all called to be models. Like, you probably wouldn't have said that about yourself a while back, but, man, you are called to be a model. You're supposed to model what it looks like to encounter God. You're supposed to model what it looks like to to serve Him. You are purposed to live out the character of God. All those words, dignity, integrity, sober-minded, being self-controlled. Your kids are supposed to see that in you. Man, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't people in my life that modeled what it looked like to be a good husband, modeled what it looked like to be a good dad, modeled what it looked like to be a pastor that's serving God, that has integrity, that, that seeks first Jesus and his kingdom before anything else. And I wouldn't be where I'm at today, but in verse 7 it says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity. So you can't ask someone to do something that you're not already doing. 
You know, ever had a boss that did that? It was like, hey, we need to serve each other. We need to put each other first, or put, put others before our needs, and they just weren't doing that. And you're like, I'm not going to listen to you because you're not doing what you're, set, what you're asking. We're all supposed to, to lead by modeling it. We're, you, we can't ask someone to do something that you're not doing. So are you living out what God's asked you? Are you living out experiencing God daily? Are you walking in, in that self-control? Are you walking in humility? Are you relying on his strength every day because your kids will see it? Are we loving God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength? Because our kids will see it. Are we making disciples? You're called to just to model what that looks like. And some of us haven't taken ownership of the responsibility. And we've kind of lost hope that they'll just do what they want. And I'm, I want to encourage somebody here is that they're going to see that in you. That your actions are going to speak so much louder than your words in this area. So... Some of us think we don't have anything to add. I mentioned that a second ago because we've made a lot of mistakes. And some of us don't want to share our mistakes with our kids or someone younger than us. I want to share with you, when I was 18 years old, I had a conversation with uh, my mom. If the band could come back up, we're getting ready to, to close. I want to challenge you with this last thought. is that, that I believe that we're all called to share the goods and the bads, our good experiences our, and our struggles. And because I think some of us are too, too leery of sharing the struggles we've had in our life to those younger than us, whether it be our kids or, or whomever. But we're all called to live this out because, because we think that they're going to lose respect. So here's what happened. When I was 18, I was about to move out. And for some reason, my mom just decided to sit down with me at that time. And she just shared with me all these decisions, this, this season of her life when she was about my age at the time. And she shared with me all these like poor decisions in her life. And I think a lot of people think that we're going to lose respect for our parents when we hear that. Or that our kids are going to lose respect for us when we hear those words. I felt like encouraging someone today in that when that happened to me, I'm going to let you firsthand experience, I grew so much respect for my mom at that time. Because I looked at my mom and said, look, all these, it helped me realize who she was today and how she was able to overcome those bad decisions and fight through all that and become the woman of God she was today, or she is today. So I feel like some of us have been, have been leery of that. Some of us have been holding off. And I want to encourage you to share the struggles, to share the struggles with those younger than you. Share the struggles with your kids and you'd be surprised at the power that that has and, and how they lean into that. The conversation impacted me more than any conversation I've ever had with her. I believe many of us have abdicated our responsibility. And I think, I think some of us have abdicated this responsibility because, and we've given it away, so no, this isn't me, this is for someone else, because no one took the time to pour into us. And I felt like encouraging someone today to break the cycle. That no one's, maybe you look back and say, like, no one poured into me. And maybe you didn't even realize that was why you're not pouring into someone else. But I want to encourage someone today is that you're called to break that cycle. See, that was the cycle in Israel. That was a cycle. This is like maybe they experienced God, but then it died off and they did evil in the eyes of the Lord until someone came around and served God. But then it, someone here needs to be encouraged today to break that cycle. Maybe no one poured into to, to you so you're not pouring into someone else. Maybe no one loved you in the way you needed so that you could love someone else. We're here to, today 
I want to encourage you here today to hear these words that you're called to break that cycle and to love, to pour into others, to train, to teach, and to model to this next generation. And I wonder what would happen. Man, I, I like to, I'm a futuristic thinker. And I think about, man, what, what is going to happen when these 20 years from now, when those kids we just dedicated and all those kids that come up here are now in the business world, are now out and leading, leading a big part of, of this world. I wonder what that's going to happen. What if we were relentless and saying, I'm going to fight for this next, next generation? Someone was saying, I don't know what, I don't know any kids. I don't know anybody younger than me. You know how to get down on your knees and pray for this next generation. What would, what's going to happen if we truly pick up this responsibility and say, I'm going to fight for this next generation. I'm going to teach. I'm going to train. I'm going to model this next, for this next generation. What would the next generation look like? Would you pray with me today?